You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Last week's summary sentence, we said, because scripture warns us that money has the capability of leading us away from the faith, we should give great consideration to the level of protection we establish in our life to ensure this never happens. Uh, Because scripture warns against money, because it warns that it could cause us to wander from the faith, we should take great care in setting up things in our life to make sure that doesn't happen. And so we looked last week specifically at Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, and I wanted us to briefly look at it again this morning because we are going to discuss this in our C groups this week. Uh, Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. There were some things that we highlighted specifically in this chapter last week um, that that stood out to us that need to be uh, carefully examined. We said that ultimately in this discussion here in Hebrews 3, there's some dangers that we're to look out for. Uh, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. There's some dangers that we could potentially be um, exposed to. See if I can get back to where we put there. Um, Some dangers that we could be potentially exposed to. Uh, Things that we want to look out for, specifically an unbelieving heart, we said last week. That, That that presents a danger to us that we need to be aware of, that we need to be on guard against, an unbelieving heart. Uh, But then also the concept of us wandering from the faith, Um, that that an unbelieving heart leads us to fall away from the faith. And so that second concern there, falling away from the living God, Uh, two dangers uh, that are that are there for us. Um, And the enemy that leads us into that, we said last week, uh, is the deceitfulness of sin, that sin deceives us into where we stop believing the promises of God. And it ultimately leads to a hardened heart, a hardened heart that leads us to unbelief, that ultimately leads us to fall away. We said, thankfully, that God gives us some solutions in this passage, and this is where we'll be discussing this uh, in C group. We're told to take care and to exhort one another. This is how we guard against an unbelieving heart. It's how we guard against falling away from the living God. It's how we guard against the deceitfulness of sin and a hardened heart. We take care and we exhort one another. So this week, just as a reminder, the things that we're discussing uh, at C Group, we said, number one, does this passage suggest that we can lose our salvation? Why or why not? This passage is used uh, in that way at times. Can we lose our salvation? And then the other two aspects we're going to discuss this Wednesday night, what does it mean to take care? What does that mean when it says to take care, brothers, lest you fall into this? How do we take care? How do we take personal responsibility to make sure this type of thing doesn't happen to us? And then the number three thing that we're going to talk about this week is what does it mean to exhort one another? How do we do that faithfully? To protect other people in our church as well. Okay, so just wanted to remind you what we're discussing this Wednesday night. Hope that you can join us um, this Wednesday. Today's passage, Genesis 15, 1, and that's as far as we're going to get into it today. Um, we're actually going to have our application Sunday next week, so we're invited to, in- to join us next week. We'll have breakfast next week. Uh, we'll have the Lord's Supper next week as well, so hope you can join us for that. What we do here at Sovereign Hope uh, every four, five, six weeks when we finish a chapter or a section of scripture, we step back and spend a whole Sunday trying to learn how to apply it in specific ways to our life. So we're going to do that next week with Genesis 13 and 14. Uh, but Genesis 15, 1 ties into what we've been talking about. And so I felt it necessary to go ahead and cover that today. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Okay, now when I was studying uh, intensively this yesterday, um, there were some things that stood out to me 
uh, in regards to this passage. First of all, God uh, communicates through his word that it was after these things that he begins to speak. So Genesis 15 is the unfolding of the Abrahamic covenant. It's an important passage in scripture because Paul actually uses it as evidence for how salvation happens in the life of a believer. That God presents truth, Abram believes it, and it's counted as righteousness. Okay, so these events in 15 unfold after these things. So that that challenges us to look back. And so we look back into 13 and 14. What have we experienced? Lot and Abram had a big dispute about land and possessions. They had to separate. Lot took the better end of the deal. Abram submitted his his rights and said, Lot, you take what's best for you. Lot took what was best. Okay, so Abram had some sacrifice there. Lot journeys down to the Sodom Gomorrah area. They're invaded by the armies. We saw in chapter 14 that Abram has to go rescue Lot and his family back and ends up rescuing a lot of people back. Okay, and then we saw the exchange between Melchizedek Uh, And Abram and the king of Sodom and Abram and Sodom's king offered him the spoils of war in exchange for the people. Abram said, I don't want any of your stuff. So Abram has turned down the land. He's given the better end of the land to Lot. He's also turned down riches. He gave up spoils. Okay, I think that's important for us to note what God is going to communicate next after these things. It says the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not. This concept of fear not stood out to me as well. What does Abram have to fear right now? Why is God communicating fear not? We don't have any indication that Abram is fearful of anything at this point. So we want to delve into a little bit today. What is Abram potentially going to fear? Why does God feel it necessary to communicate to him that he has no reason to fear? Okay. Um, I think it's important to note as well that God... Um, communicates a couple of things about himself. Number one, I am your shield. And number two, your reward shall be very great. Your reward shall be very great. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Okay, so fear not, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. These are things that jumped out immediately to me about the text this morning. And again, we're not going to get into the rest of God's discussion with Abram. We're going to pause right there and examine some of these things because again, we are in the the book of Genesis, which means origins, okay? Things that are beginning. This is the first time that we have this concept of fear not communicated in scripture. Now you could you could search that phrase and see that it pops up a ton of times in the Old Testament. And then it finds its way into the New Testament as well, the concept that as God's people, we should not fear circumstances but this is the first time that it's mentioned in scripture so remember god is progressively revealing himself and he begins to reveal this aspect of of no reason to fear if we're in relationship with him i am your shield you may be surprised to find how many times that concept of god being a shield is found specifically in the old testament and we know about the shield of faith in the new testament but specifically in the old testament This was a concept that provided much encouragement to the children of Israel, the concept of God being their shield. And then obviously the concept of provision there, your reward shall be great. Um, These are things that God is revealing uh, to his people, and it's setting a precedent, setting a standard for how we understand God and his dealings uh, with his people. So um, we're going to examine what these phrases mean this morning um, and dive into them a little bit more deeper. Um, for your summary sentence this morning, let me get that up there for you. We can try to override what's currently up there. Our summary sentence for this morning, we have been called to trust in a God who understands our needs in conjunction with his plan, offering appropriate promises of protection and provision to us. We have been called to trust in a God, and this is God, once again, 
presenting himself to Abram as a deity who deserves his trust. Okay, so we've been called to trust in a God, just like Abram was called to trust in a God, who understands our needs in conjunction with his plan. Now, that's important that those two ideas are connected. We serve a God who understands our needs, but he filters that through what his overall plan is, right? There, there's a young lady who's grieving this morning in North Atlanta because she lost her husband last weekend. Now, if you sat down and asked her, she would say, my husband was a need in my life, probably. He was, he was a, an important aspect of my life. In ways that we don't fully understand, him continuing here on this earth did not fit into God's plan. So it's a God who understands our needs, but those needs cannot be separated from his overall plan. And so using both of those things together, God offers appropriate promises of protection and provision. So we need not see God failing to provide these things in certain cases. We could easily be tempted to do so if we disconnected his provision from his overall plan, right? He recognizes our needs, but he doesn't separate that from his overall plan. So he promises protection. He promises provision. But in no way does that mean that there are people around the world today that are Christians that aren't being persecuted for their faith and dying for their faith. He's still their shield. That promise still rings true. And we're going to see specifically things that scripture tells us that he shields us from. Um, but it's, it's important that we connect all these dynamics together, that we serve a God. We're called to trust in him. He understands our needs, but those needs are always filtered through his plan. And he always offers appropriate promises of protection and provision, not a clear cut all the time this happens type of thing, but it's appropriate in regards to his plan. Okay, and we're going to see how that unfolds here in this passage. Um, first of all, we serve a God who, ex- who extends understanding. In your notes, if you're taking notes with us this morning, we serve a God who extends understanding. In Genesis 15 here, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield your reward shall be very great after these things is when God comes to him. Now, this is after great victory, but also after great sacrifice. So if we're reading through Genesis for the very first time, we've seen Abram essentially give up a lot of rights. He gave up the rights to the land. He gave up the rights to the spoil, right? He's experienced a great victory. He's gone and defeated these other armies. But now what happens next? After these things, what transpires? And Abram was probably left to wonder the same thing. Will there be retaliation from where I just went, right? Those people invaded and took a lot of people with them. There was retaliation, right? Abram garnered up an army and went after those people and came and won a great victory. It may be that Abram began to wonder what's going to happen next. Are they going to come and retaliate now against us? They've realized that when they came and invaded, they left some people untapped. And Abram and his family had not been touched during that first invasion. And so he was allowed to survive, and, and there was a, enough of a, a resurgence to go and defeat that army. Would there be another gathering of armies to come and attack Abram? And you say, well, well, why would Abram be fearful of that? He just won a great victory. Surely he would just continue to trust in God and his provision. Abram has enemies now, potentially, but, but why would that be a concern for him? The concern was certainly there for Elijah, right? Remember, Elijah won a great victory at Mount Carmel. One of the, one of the famous Old Testament stories where, where he battles against the prophets of Baal and who can bring down fire from heaven and, and a great victory's won. And then if we turn our attention to 1 Kings chapter 19, the very next chapter, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had, had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. See, Elijah runs. He's fearful. He's fearful of what's going to happen to him. So it's not it's not completely unimaginable that Abram may have been feeling some 
some anxious anxiousness about what might transpire next? Will there be discontentment with his decision to forfeit the spoils? You know, Abram in, in a moment of victory, in a moment of, of spiritual height says, no, no, I've entrusted my soul to the possessor of heaven and earth. I'm not taking anything from you, king of Sodom. I don't want there to be any question as to who has made me rich. Walks away from that and goes back home and, and he's sitting in his tent and he's thinking, did I make the right decision there? Like, that was a, that was a lot of stuff. Maybe that was how God wanted to, to make me rich. And I think God comes on the scene here and he extends understanding to some potential thoughts that may be running through Abram's head. Again, it's not communicated in the passage here. We don't have Moses write and say, Abram was in his tent after all of these things and he was, he was fearful over armies that may invade. And he was, he was questioning his decision to give up riches. And then God came to him and said, fear not. We don't have that. All we have is that God shows up and says, fear not. And I think that's important because I think we can remind ourselves that we serve a God who extends understanding to us. He understands our needs sometimes before we even understand them. I think God anticipates that there may be some fearful anxiousness that comes here in the coming days. And so after these things, God steps in very intentionally and begins to communicate things to Abram to protect him, to protect him from fear, to protect him from discontentment. And as we were looking at that passage, I shared with you that I think God's remedy for fear is to communicate who he is. So he anticipates some fearful anxiousness by Abram. And his remedy for those feelings is to once again remind Abram who he is. He says, I'm your shield. I'm your, your protection. I'm the one who will fight for you. I'm, I'm the one who's going to provide you with a reward. Don't, don't question yourself and, and wonder, should I have taken what was offered to me? And some translations would even say that it's not so much your reward shall be very great, but I am your reward, which is great. So it may be, too, that God is really communicating, I'm your shield, I'm your reward. Okay? Your army has dispersed, your buddies that came along have gone back to their cities. So if there was an invasion, Abram's not even at his full strength like he was when he went after those armies, right? He comes home, he's not a captain or a commander. It's not that he keeps his army on tap for whenever he needs it. He got his friends and, and some people that were close to him and they rallied a bunch of people and went out to beat this army. Now that they're back home, everybody's kind of dispersed. If that army was to come in the middle of the night, it's Abram and his people in tents with sheep and cattle, the things that Egypt gave to him. So God says, I'm your shield. You don't have to keep an army at bay. You don't have to keep something ready to call upon. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. God extends understanding to Abram, even before maybe Abram had a chance to become anxious. God begins to communicate these truths to him. God comes with the exact promises that Abram needs for that time. Remember, we said we're supposed to cling to the promises of God and they provide encouragement through it to us through the day. But there's specific promises that we have to call upon, right? Um, that, that the promise that God's never going to flood the earth again doesn't necessarily provide comfort when we're, when we're wondering about the security of our job, right? It's a great promise, but it doesn't necessarily provide the encouragement that we need at that time. These are, these are promises that God provides, and they're very relevant to what Abram was experiencing. Okay, so God comes in with understanding, and he communicates promises that Abram needs to hear at that time. And ultimately, what he's providing is the ultimate comfort. I'm your protection, and I'm your provision, and again, these are concepts that come out throughout the rest of God's word, but they're communicated here for the very first time. Psalm 84, chapter 84, verse 9. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. See, these are truths that people down the road would, would cling to. They're communicated to Abram for the very first time here. I'm your shield. I'm your protection. I'm your provision. Your reward is going to be very great. The psalmist draws upon this and says, 
No good thing does God withhold from those that are his. These are truths that continue to spiral down into, into uh, salvation history as, as God continues to reveal himself. But they, they start to spring forth here for the very first time. God's revealing his character to his people. And I think what's, what's incredibly comfort, comforting to us this morning is that God possesses both the power and the love needed to continually offer both of these things to us. God possesses the power. We know through scripture that he's omnipotent. He has all power to do whatever he wants to. He has all power to do whatever he wants to. And then what's just as important is that he has all the love for us needed to assure us that he will continue to use his power in that way, right? It's, it's one thing to say that God's all powerful, but if he's not all loving towards his people, towards his children, he could at one point say, I'm going to withhold the power from you. I used to promise that I would be your shield and your reward, but you know what? You keep messing up and doing the same things over and over. I'm not your shield anymore. I'm not going to give you that reward that I promised you. See, the assurance in Scripture is that not only does he possess the power, he possesses the love for us needed to continue to offer those things to us time and time again. Philippians says he starts the work in us, he finishes the work. He doesn't back off and say, no more shield, no more reward. That should provide comfort to us this morning in the same way that it would have comforted Abram. Abram's already messed up and made some mistakes. And God keeps coming back into his life to reaffirm promises to him. To continue to reveal his faithfulness to Abram, even when Abram's not always faithful to God. We serve a God who extends understanding. There's things that God knows is going to happen this week to us that we haven't even anticipated yet. And God's already putting provision in place to make sure that we carry through those things this week before we're even aware of them. A God who understands. Secondly, we serve a God who extends protection. So let's look specifically at what it means for God to do these things. He says, I am your shield. God addresses Abram's concerns about his safety. And he communicates a, a defense that's in place to protect Abram. There's times when, when God's providing protection for us, even when we don't feel it. Isaiah chapter 50. Verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. There's times when we may not see God actively working in our life. There may be times when we're going through a situation and we, we know in our head that God has promised to take care of us, but we don't see him doing it. The, the, the Isaiah reminds us here that when we're in a situation like that, where we're in darkness and there is no light, that it's at that time that we absolutely have to keep our trust in God and his promises of good intent towards his people. Oftentimes, there's a disconnect between what we believe and what we are experiencing. I mean, Tyson and I have talked several times this week about this family that, that, where she's lost her husband. You know? and, and this is a girl who's, who's worked at Snowbird, been to Snowbird. I know she's been under great teaching. Um, to, to hear the legacy that this guy left at his school, he only taught at the school one year. He was in his second year. But if you go online, you can Google his name, and you can see all these blogs and comments that are being made by students and faculty. You, you would thought that he had taught there for a decade, the type of impact that he made on that school in one year. I would imagine that there's some disconnect potentially in what Alex is feeling today. She, she knows, she, she sat under good teaching, God works everything for the good of his children. But I can't imagine that there hasn't been a time during this week where she has questioned, how can this be good? I know it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not all of a sudden throwing everything out that I've ever been taught. I'm just not experiencing it right now. I'm not experiencing it right now. And there may have been some, some feelings by Abram in that situation. Abram, this is, we're a decade into him leaving his home. He has no land of his own. He still has no children. Remember, he, he abandoned everything, left family and friends to move. And didn't really know where he was going. Finally gets to a spot and he's experienced famine. He's experienced family issues where he had to separate from Lot. He's had to go to battle to, to get his family back. And he comes back home and he's sitting in his tent and probably wondering, where's the land at and where is my son at? 
And we're going to see that those questions come out from Abram in the rest of chapter 15. He says, I don't, I don't have an heir right now that's part of my line. And so there's some disconnect. I, I've been told one thing, but I'm experiencing something different than what I've been told. Or at least I feel like I'm experiencing something different. Our security must rest in the faithfulness of his word and not in our feelings. Faithfulness must rest in his word and not in our feelings. In times like this, when we're in darkness, that we have to trust when we don't see light. In Psalm chapter 18, verse 30. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. How do we take refuge in him? I think the the psalmist connects the fact that it's the word of God that proves true. The word of God is our shield. That's where we take our refuge. We find ourselves clothing ourselves in the promises of God. That we're allowing his promises to be the shield that we need as we traverse through some difficult times in our life. That we're constantly coming back and and renewing our faith and trust in what we know to be true, even if it's different than what we feel like we're experiencing. He's our shield, the psalmist says. Psalm 119, verse 114. Psalm 119, 114. Says to us, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope. In your word. A lot of times when the concept of shield is mentioned in scripture. It's tied to the word of God. In Proverbs chapter 30. Verse 5. It says every word of God proves true. He is our shield to those who take refuge in him. Again the concept of God's word. And how it shields us. In Numbers chapter 23. Verse 19. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Our security rests in his faithfulness and the fact that he's not like man. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't vary. He doesn't switch. He's faithful. To remain adequately adequately protected, we must know his precious promises To cling to them. Some other shield passages that that you may want to write down. Uh, Psalm chapter 3. We'll look at a couple of these and then I'll give you the references for the other. Uh, But I want you to see that this isn't just a a one-time concept that's communicated here. Psalm chapter 3 verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Concept of him being a shield for us, one that carries us through the difficult times and lifts our head as we come through. Psalm chapter 5, verse 12. For you bless the righteous, O Lord, you cover him with favor as with a shield. What a beautiful picture that is. You cover, you cover him with favor. Like a shield. We've talked about God's promises of favor. God's promises of good intent towards his people. We cling to those promises. Especially when we feel like we're experiencing something different. Psalm chapter 7 verse 10. My shield is with God. Who saves the upright in heart. Psalm chapter 18 verse 2. There's a couple of different references in this chapter. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In verse 35. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You could jot down uh, Psalm 28, 7. Psalm 33, 18 through 22. I'm actually to that one. So the other one that we didn't, re- didn't look up is Psalm 28, 7. But Psalm 33, 18 through 
chapter 33, verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. That that concept of protection and provision. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Okay, so, so God's a shield that's communicated time and time again. And a lot of these psalms are quoted by other authors in other places in the Old Testament. So it's not even just limited to the psalms and proverbs. The psalms and proverbs are a reflection of what other people are trusting in outside of those two books. Um, but what, you know, we circled it at the beginning when we were looking at the passage. What, what does it mean for God to be our shield? What's he actually shielding us from? And, and I made a list of a couple of things that I think God very intently and very clearly shields us from. Number one, if you're taking notes, he, he shields us from Satan and evil intent. God shields us from Satan and evil intent. Okay? In, um, in 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to be his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, comfort, strengthen, and establish you. Okay? What we have here, Peter is, is, is saying that Satan is, is, is roaming this earth and he's looking for people to devour. Okay? But what we have communicated in Scripture is that Satan can only do what God allows him to. And what's being suggested here is that God is going to allow Satan at times, his, his forces, his, his demons, he's going to allow the overall plan of Satan to at times touch his people. Because God says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered, what's God going to do? He's going to call you to his eternal glory in Christ, restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. So God's kind of setting the stage. Satan is going to, at times, be allowed to cause you to suffer. The encouragement is that you're going to come through it, and you're going to succeed on the other side and experience great victory. Jesus even preps Peter, Peter who's writing about this, he preps Peter for his own personal experience, right? In Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Jesus is talking with Peter and Peter's trumpeting his, his faithfulness. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Okay? Satan's demanded to have you, which, which implies that Satan has to demand to do anything, right? That Satan couldn't just have Peter. He has to come to get permission from God to do anything towards Peter. And Jesus says, I've actually lowered the shield a little bit to, to, to let some of that evil towards you come your way. But there's, there's still this overall shield of protection in the midst of Satan being allowed to do some things. And he says, when you're restored, when you come out of it, strengthen your brothers. And Peter says, let me write first, Peter. And let me remind the brothers that just like I was sifted like wheat, there's going to be times where you're going to be sifted like wheat. Resist him. Firm in the faith, knowing that on the other side, God's going to confirm and strengthen you. See, this played out with Job, and, and, and I want to I want to highlight a couple of important discussions in the in the in the story of Job. In in Job chapter one, verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, "From where have you come?" Satan answered the Lord and said, "From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it." And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house 
and all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. I think it's important to note here that Satan, Satan doesn't respond and say, no, I'm not aware about Job. Tell me about him. Oh, he probably praises you because he has all these things. No, Satan is fully aware of Job. He says, of course he, of course he worships you. You have a hedge of protection around him. You know what that implies? It implies that Satan has attempted to do things in the past and cannot penetrate the shield. It's not, oh, please tell me about this guy, Job. I'm completely unfamiliar with him. And then they have a discussion and he says, oh, I'm sure if you were to change some things in his life that he would then not worship you anymore. No, he says, the reason he worships you is because I can't touch him. I've tried. I'm fully aware of Job. There's a hedge of protection around him. Nobody's allowed in to do anything. He's prospered. You've given him great reward. You're his shield. And God says, okay, we'll, we'll lower the shield a little bit and, and, and let, you, let you have some activity here. You just, can't, you just can't harm him. Take whatever you want from him. You just can't harm him. So that plays out, and, and Job's still uh, faithful. Job chapter 2, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. Blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. In my notes, I put the only evil that penetrates the shield is the evil that God allows for refining purposes. That's where Satan's weakness is exposed. He has to demand things. He can't operate on his own will. And it's only when God wants to, to prove a point, make a point, accomplish a point in one's life that that shield is even dropped in any way so that Satan can penetrate God's people and what Satan fails to realize is that it is exactly God's purpose that he wants to accomplish, that he even allows that evil to come into play into that person's life. God, God, God continues to shield his people, even in the midst of Satan trying to work evil. God guards us and protects us from evil intent because God works it for good. In my notes, I put, God does not react to bad things in our life and make them good. Okay, so it's not that God woke up last Sunday or Saturday and realized that this girl's husband had been killed. And now he steps back and says, okay, I've got to develop a plan for how to make this good in her life. Because I've promised good intent. And so Satan kind of snuck one by me there, took her husband's life. How can I make this good now? We don't know how this played out in heaven. We don't know the spiritual uh, dealings with what happened last week with, the, with this family. But what we do know is that God doesn't react to bad things and make them good. That, that's not how God works. Instead, I put in my notes, God allows bad things into our life in order to produce good. And there, there's a big point of difference there. God's not reacting to things as they happen. Oh, there's some bad over there. I got to make that good. Oh, there's some bad over there. I got to make that good. God is allowing Satan and evil to play out. And he only allows what he allows. There's not other things that are happening that God's not allowing. He's allowing evil to play out in a way that he can produce the utmost good. I don't know what's going to happen in this girl's life. I know that her husband obviously wasn't a need in her life for God's plans. And she's going to have to reconcile that over the coming weeks and months and years. And it may be an ongoing process for her. But we serve a God who is who's a shield for us and is our great reward. And the only thing that she needs in her life is Christ. And she's going to learn that more and more as she grieves the loss of her husband. But it's also not a situation where the shield dropped and something evil happened and now God's trying to put the pieces back together. God was very aware of what was happening. 
And he has, he has every intent for it to work out good for her. Not because he's now developed a plan a week later. It's not that she wakes up this morning and says, wow, my God has had a week. Surely he's come up with a good plan now in light of this tragedy. It's that God always had a good plan in, in, in place for that situation. That's the type of God we serve, a God who is a shield, who provides for his people. He guards us and protects us from Satan and evil intent. Secondly, he, he shields us from our enemies. He shields us from our enemies. There are several passages that reflect this. We won't read through all of them, but in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, it says, He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. David praising God for his deliverance from Saul. Deuteronomy 33. Verse 29. Happy are you, O Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? The shield of your help and the sword of your triumph, your enemies shall come fawning to you, and you shall tread upon their backs. Exodus fourteen thirteen. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. God guards us and protects us from our enemies. But number three, he shields us from excessive temptation. We don't always think about this, but, but God shields us from excessive temptation. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There's there's a couple of things that are communicated there. One, nobody is is experiencing some type of temptation that is unique to them that no one else has ever experienced. Right. It's it's a temptation that's common to man. Nothing new or unique that sprung up in your life. There's no temptation that's too strong for us. He's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And then, and then the next thing, no temptation without an escape route. Like he, he provides the opportunity for escape. So God shields us in the midst of Satan roaring and roaming and, and wanting to produce evil. God only allows him to do what he wants to, uh, to, what God wants him to do, what God allows him to do. And then in the midst of temptation for God's people, always puts them in a situation where it's not too much for them to say no. Always puts them in a situation where they can escape it. That's the type of shield that we, that we serve, a shield that protects us from excessive temptation. And then lastly, from bitterness, from bitterness. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill, the latter to do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. And we see Paul rejoicing here in the book of Philippians. What has happened to me has has functioned in conjunction with God's overall plan to advance the gospel. Right? Elizabeth Elliot is, is a great picture of this. Right? Her husband is lost. And all the women who lost husbands on that tragic day... Uh, when, when they went in to share the gospel with those Indians and, and, and what they received in return was death. But what we found, what we found from that tragedy is what happened to those women really served to advance the gospel. And while it took some time, I think all those women, their testimonies, they reconciled the loss of their husband, advanced the gospel. What they thought was a desperate need in their life was taken from them. And what they found is that they could rely on their shield and their rewarder 
to comfort them in the midst of that loss and to advance the gospel as part of that great plan. And so I I have no doubts that however long it takes that this girl, Alex, will be able to say, what's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. What I thought was a need in my life, it's become more clear to me that him not being in my life was needed to advance the gospel. And I can put my faith and trust in a shield, in a rewarder that knows my needs and understands me better than I understand myself. He protects us from bitterness because Christians could easily grow bitter if they were dealt these type of cards. But he gives us the supernatural ability a lot of times to step back and see the good intent in those situations. To see how the gospel goes forth in the midst of tragedy. Lastly, we serve a God who extends provision. Not only is God our shield, he says, your reward shall be very great. This isn't just true for Abram. It's true for all of us that are children of Abram. In Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For who would ever draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's a, that's a truth. That's a promise communicated. It's the foundation of our faith that we believe that we are running after a God that rewards. Rahab had that belief. She ran to the spies. She ran to the God of Israel. We deserve death. You're going to mow down everybody in Canaan. I'm not going to run from you. I want to run to you in hopes that you will reward me for that faith. Please include me with your people. We already said that this passage can be translated. I am your reward. Satisfaction in Christ alone. That's really the message of Hebrews 11. If you read through Hebrews 11, the overarching theme over and over is that any reward here on earth or lack thereof, because you have both, you have Moses who has all the pleasures of Egypt and he says no to those because he saw something greater. So any reward here on earth or the lack thereof pales in comparison to the reward to come. And that's where we have to realize that what's being communicated here, I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. It would be a mistake to then see any earthly gift towards Abram as the fulfillment of that. Why? Because Abram didn't see it that way. Abram doesn't, and we we see that in Hebrews 11. Abram doesn't think that Isaac or that the land is the ultimate fulfillment. It says that he was looking forward to something greater than these earthly things. That they were simply a picture of things that he ultimately had his hope in. We can't disconnect ourselves from the fact that, that God does at times give rewards here on earth. We said last week, there are people that are Christians that will be rich. And there's, there's instructions about how to handle their richness. But any reward here on earth or lack thereof pales in comparison to the reward to come. It's our application for us today that leads us into our, our small groups this week and, and our application Sunday next week. We must take care of our own hearts while relying on the exhortation of other believers in order to keep on believing that God will provide all things good to us as we wait for his return. Okay, so we've got to take care of ourselves, as Hebrews 3 says, so that we don't uh, get deceived by sin and develop a hardened heart that stops believing in God and then falls away from the living God. We take care of our own hearts. We keep trusting these promises, but it's not just about what we do for ourselves. We need the help of others in our life. So we take care of our own hearts while relying on the exhortation of other believers. And it's an act of humility that says, I'm not going to make it on my own. If it's just me, I'm going to wander. I rely on the exhortation of other believers. I ask people to speak into my life in order to keep me believing that God will provide all things that are good to us. He withholds no good thing for his people. But as we said in that summary sentence, we have to, we have to connect it with his overall plan. Because that's how he defines what we need the type of protection we need, and the type of provision we need. It's all defined by his overall plan and how we fit into that overall plan. All right, so I encourage you this week, um, leading up to Wednesday, to 
to spend some time studying Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Does it teach that we can lose our salvation? What does it mean for us to take care? What are some practical things that we can do to take care of our hearts? And then also, what does it mean for us to exhort other people? What does it mean for someone to exhort me in my own life? What does it mean for me to exhort others in their life? Those are the things that we want to kind of hash out together on Wednesday. We'll probably let some of that carry over to next Sunday when we have our application Sunday um, as we look back into several weeks here now of things that we've been discussing. All right, let's pray together. Father, we, we come to you this morning and we just praise you and thank you for the things that are communicated in your word. God, we're thankful that your word is reliable and true. Father, we're thankful that it, it serves as a shield for us as we leave this room. God, I pray that, that your promises of favor and good content would, would, would ring loudly in our hearts this week. Father, there, there's no promises that tragedy won't hit our family this week. There's no promises that all of us will be in this room next week. God, I pray that that us that our that our intent, our intentional effort to cling to your promises will guard us and protect us from whatever we encounter this week. God, I do want to lift up to you Alex Ritchie and, and her family as they are grieving right now through this tragedy. Father, it's an example to us today that, that, that we have to be prepared and ready to take care of our hearts to endure something like that. That Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And God, we're thankful that we have a, a high priest that intercedes for us. God, we're thankful that Jesus prayed for the endurance of Peter. That even though Satan was allowed to sift him at times, that, that Jesus ensured that he would come through it. Father, we're thankful for the promises that Peter communicates in his letter that we can resist the devil through the power of the Holy Spirit and that we can come through on the other end confirmed and strengthened. Father, we're thankful for the hedge of protection that you've put around us. And God, we're thankful that even when you allow Satan to enter into that realm, it's only for good purposes. We're thankful that we don't serve a God who has to react. Father, we praise you and thank you that we serve a proactive God who's already laid out the plan and is working to accomplish it, both for our good and for your glory. We praise you and thank you for that this morning, God. I pray that these truths will encourage us as they're meant to. Father, I pray that we'd be faithful in our workplaces and our homes this week, that we would strive to, uh, to hold fast to the coming hope of Jesus Christ and that that lifestyle would communicate the love that we have for Jesus and those that we come in contact with. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.